Uh, if you have a Bible or you are on the YouVersion Bible app with us at home or on the roof or uh, right here in the room, uh, you can find us in Isaiah chapter 64 today. Uh, I want to begin this morning by uh, just, I've had a lot of people, of course, ask uh, that given the, the, the new um, situation here in the state of California, what we're going to continue to do. Uh, our current plan is to continue to remain doing exactly what we're doing. Uh, and so we're going to continue to meet live here uh, in the Ritz. Uh, we're also going to allow the rooftop experience for those of you who want uh, some association with people and just to be able to get out of the house, but do it in, a, in, a, in an environment that you feel comfortable with. Uh, you're welcome to come get you a, a piping hot cup of manzanita, make your way to the roof uh, and do that. And then uh, for those of you who are online, we're going to continue to work very, very hard uh, to provide the best possible online experience that, that we can. Um, I wanna invite you today to Moonlight Beach at three o'clock. We got baptisms going on uh, well north of 10. We don't know uh, where it's gonna land eventually. And if that's something you have interest in, I'm gonna offer you an invitation at the end and feel free to do it. If you have not seen me turn blue before, you might get your chance today. It's gonna be freezing in that ocean, uh, but there's no better reason to go and be cold than that. Uh, so I want to uh, invite you to do that. now. Uh, here's the part I do feel like God would want me to say something. We, we have an opportunity, sisters and brothers, to witness Amen. to the world around us in a bunch of different ways. And one of them right now that I think can really help uh, point them to Jesus in a very subtle way would be for us to role model for one another what it looks like to show love and respect to each other, on, on the, w even though we have our disagreements about how this thing ought to be handled that we're in, Okay. Uh, so I'll give you an example. Um, were, you know, I, right before I came on stage, I was on our Facebook feed. I was saying hi to some of the folks that are watching this online, right? And I know that those people, I know those people, I've known many of them for a very, very long time. Uh, and those are some of the most uh, courageous people I know. Um, and so I would never want to suggest that somebody who's not here uh, is, is just a scaredy cat or they are selfish or they are... Uh, you know, anything like that. Uh, these are some of the bravest, most courageous, most servant-minded people I've ever met in my life, probably ever will meet. Um, now, so be careful how you speak to one another. I want to encourage you to keep your heart warm and assume the best of your brothers and sisters, remembering that the Bible talks to us about the body and when different parts are hurting, that that is something that ought to concern us, right? And, and so we're gonna do that. Now, at the same time, on the other side of the coin, I want to say that the people that I'm, for instance, I'm looking at right now uh, are also some of the most courageous people that I have ever seen, and they're also some of the most selfless people I've ever met. Uh, they, just, they just see this differently, or, or they've got a different reason to, to, to be here. Uh, and so I, don't, I think it's wrong uh, of people to just assume that, that anybody who would come here live, including myself, uh, we just, we don't care about life or, you know, whatever other hyper dramatic phrase that we like to say these days. Um, what we all care about, whether you're online or on the rooftop or in the Ritz right now, uh, we care about Jesus. We care about life change. We care about worshiping God. And so wherever that comes from, we're going to continue to love and respect one another and refuse to let the culture of Renan Terrace part. Okay. Amen. So with that in mind, it's not like there's a lot of that going on in the church, but I just feel like that's something that, that somebody somewhere needs to uh, to say that you can you can see this differently and it doesn't mean that you're either a coward on one side or you're a, a killer on the other or something like that that's just the drama that the world and I think Satan just sits back and cackles and hisses and applauds that kind of stuff so this morning um, we can look at it and this will be my little springboard into the sermon today that that it's a another birth pang of how broken the world is 
uh, that when you see people turning against each other, family members, going against family members, Jesus actually referred to that. He says, you're going to see moms and dads go at it. You're going to see kids and their parents go at it. You're going to see uh, things go on in, in what you might call the last days, which are just the days after his uh, departure and his ascension to heaven. That, that this kind of stuff's going to go on. You're going to see wars. You're going to see people who just want to hear somebody tell them what they want to hear. No way. Oh, that's like the air we breathe. The itching ears world, right? And, and, and it was all told to us. And it was, it was part of God's way of saying, first in the incarnation of Christ, and this is in a season we call Advent, depending on uh, if you grew up in Catholicism or something, it may mean something a little bit different to you than it does to us. But really, it's just a time. It's a Latin translation of the Greek word for uh, parousia, which just basically kind of talks about the second coming of Christ. So we here in in, in this day and in this time, we play kind of two different roles, like a two-headed coin. One is we try to create a sense of expectation of the arrival of Jesus, part one, on the earth, the incarnation of Christ when he came and walked among us, and then also on the other side, that expectation for when he comes again. And so Advent, um, to, to some people would say, well, yeah, but he already came, so why would you want to go back and wait in expectation? Because people who live on this side of it don't get it. And so it, we often miss how important the incarnation is. It's not just that, uh, hey, it's a great time to have Santa around and visit the mall Santa and buy some gifts and, and go to the perfume counter at the department store and sniff things and uh, do whatever it is that you do at Christmas time, Okay there's something very profound and cosmically important and eternally important that we recognize at this time of year. And so you start with the dark part. You start confessionally with a confession that sounds something like, God, we clearly are messed up. And if you can't say that this year, I don't know, there's no hope for you probably, all right? All right? Uh, we have not demonstrated this year that we have a firm grasp on this world. Right. We have demonstrated everything but that, in fact. We have done nothing but put in neon lights for those who, who are people of faith. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is not what God intended. It's not where it's heading, but the world that we're living in and, and, and the way out of it is through Jesus Christ. And as we explore that this month, I hope what you're going to understand is that, that the beginning of seeing the light is, is seeing the darkness. The way you can tell there's light in the room is that it was dark. Right. <laughs> and so once you get that and once you understand and, and why, that's what Isaiah does for us this morning. He helps us with that. And he says to us, essentially, uh, we are the reason it's dark. What do you mean? What do you mean? Because usually what happens is we go and, and, and wreak destruction and havoc in the world and then stand around wondering, well, where was God when that happened? If there was a God, why did it happen? Even while the gun smoke makes its way out of the barrel. Even when our hands are still dirty. Even when our apology to the person we just hurt or offended or did wrong has yet to be spoken. And God looks down and says, well, okay, so it's my fault that you did that. It's my fault that this and that and the other takes place. On the, uh, is it God, as I alluded to earlier, that's causing us to hate one another? 
Or is it God calling us out of that and giving us the path through that, through his son, Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and we reject it? Because those who have, particularly who haven't never, have never tried it before, it just feels so good to feel better than others. It, it feels good to me to feel self-righteous. It feels good to me to feel like I'm being courageous and others are not. I, it feels good to me to feel like I'm the safe, conscious one and, and they're just selfish. It just feels so good. So when I sit here and I look at the brokenness of the world, it's easy for me to say, well, if they would just do this, everything would be fine. If they would just do this, everything would be fine. And God is saying, you know what? You guys have never done the right thing. You've never done the right thing. But I have. And that's where the hope is to be found. And then when you experience that hope in Christ, that's when the transforming power of Jesus transforms your life. And now you aren't that source of darkness. You become a source of light in the world. Advent is about the world's desperate need for God and God's definitive answer to the world in Christ. And so you may notice this graphic here has a little, we'll call it a Dickensian vibe to it. Uh, a little Christmas carol kind of thing to it. Now, Dickens, Charles Dickens was uh, quite the guy. He, uh, he was uh, 12 when his father was thrown in debtor's prison. And uh, we don't really have those anymore. But uh, back in those days, if you got enough debt, they'd just throw you in jail until you paid it. Now, I don't know how they expected you to pay it if you're in jail. But that was the way it goes. Well, your family will go work hard, and they'll pay your debt off, and then you can come and get out of prison. Well, um, his dad was in there for three months. During that time, uh, his family lived in prison with the dad, leaving him largely on his own. Uh, he worked then at Warren's Blacking Factory, gluing labels to bottles of shoe polish, finding himself very, very poor, often very, very hungry. And so he was tortured by this thought that his parents had kind of abandoned him to this life. He hated the system he was born in. He didn't like how he felt like the rich turned their back on the poor. His time as a child laborer left a permanent and very traumatic impression on him. And so when he got older, he realized that he could write. And so he started to write. And his sympathetic descriptions of Tiny Tim and Scrooge as a boy that was spurned by his father in A Christmas Carol, they kind of talk about his, they're really a reflection of his own compassion for the poor, abandoned, and neglected kids. You may have read Oliver Twist or some of his other books. There's a lot of that theme in what he writes. His name and his works became so synonymous with Christmas that when he died, there, were all, there was a panic in England because they thought that Christmas would stop being celebrated now that he was dead. But he thought, Dickens did, that Christmas was a perfect time to say not only God blesses everyone, but to note the humbug nature of life and how difficult and painful it can be in a world in which people often turn their back on others instead of turning toward them. So, this is not a big mystery. Uh, this hasn't been a great year for almost anybody, right? And I could go down the list of my own things. You probably have yours, but let's just talk about the ones we all kind of share in common because what he produces as Tiny Tim or, uh, or Scrooge in this kind of yin and yang way where Tiny Tim's like kind of this helpless victim and boy abandoned by the world and Scrooge was abandoned by his dad when he's younger, if you read the book, not the movie, and, and that Scrooge's abandonment, now he's an abandoner and that that cycle continues 
to this day that what we do, whether it's, you know, among the kind of the selfish chaos of, of people running over one another on Black Friday, like literally stepping on people to get into a mall or, or explosions in, in Kabul or some faraway place or uh, this kind of soul-scarring screaming that you can hear in the neighbor's house, the arguing between the husband and the wife or the, the heartache of the first holiday season experienced by people who've lost their loved one for the first time or, or the depression of the bullied teenager who hasn't been in school in nine months or, and is torn between, am I glad or, or, or not? Please don't make me go back to school on one side and on the other side, you've got other kids who are like, please, can I just have my life back? And all of that stuff, all of that, that stew. Kids looking at their parents wondering why their mom's so sad all the time. It all points to the darkness. There's an echo of Dickens, I would say, in the prophet Isaiah's voice. Now, I guess it should be flipped. Dickens was long after Isaiah. But you can hear it. And so many of the, pro- the voice of the prophet, he was known as the begging prophet. You're going to hear him beg this morning. May his voice and every troubled heart aim toward heaven. Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That word rend means tear them open. Okay. That you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we didn't look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in their ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned, and in our sins we have been a long time. (laughs) Shall we be saved? We've all become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a, a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls on your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you've hidden your face from us, and you've made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are our potter, we are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not our iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people." What's he doing? What does that even mean, right? Well, remember the scene. Isaiah's like a, like a play with three acts. The first one's describing what just happened. The second one is kind of like, here's what's happening right now. The third part of Isaiah is kind of about what's coming. And this is Isaiah, the begging prophet, saying, God, oh my goodness, Lord, would you just rip the heavens open and come down here? Would you just tear them open like, like, like a football team running through the, 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 you know, the butcher paper at a, at a ball game? Would you just break through? Uh, would, you, would, you, would you bring it out? Would you tear it like Hulk Hogan used to tear his shirt in the ring? <laughs> would you just take the heavens and do that? Would you just tear them open and come down here? Because, man, we've been in our sin a long time. A long time. Now, he doesn't 
He doesn't blame God. He expresses the need for God, and he wants God's presence. If he's afraid of God, if he's angry at God, if he's blaming God, you want God to stay away. That's not what he wants. He wants God closer. He wants him nearer, more, <laughs> more near than ever. He wants him. And so that's why he's called the begging prophet. Look at all the times that please comes up. Would you please? Oh, that you would do this. Please do this. He's imploring and begging God because he sees a world that was encapsulated in this wonderful little painting that I stared at for a long time. It's not a great work of art, but the concept's brilliant. This is a painting by a, an unknown author called A Long Walk to the Fire. What you see there are three young boys. They're carrying buckets of water. There's a fire in the distance, um, and they're a long way from it. And you can tell that fire's pretty good size. So even when they get there with their buckets, what good's it gonna do? You, you know, you can't, <laughs> you, you can't put out a fire like that with a water gun. And it's gonna take them forever to get there. But they're carrying the buckets together. I kind of dig that. And as you notice, this, I thought to myself, what a beautiful encapsulation of the spirit of Advent. It feels like the world's on fire. And we're like people with buckets and we're 50 miles away from the fire. And that's Isaiah. He's going, he's going, God, look, I, we're doing the best we can down here. We prophets, okay? Uh, we're going to need some help because we've tried to get through and it ain't getting through. And, and nations have continued to trample all over your people. Would you just get their attention? Would you, would you clap your hands up there? I love the image he uses. He's like, would you just set the world to boil like wood underneath, caught on fire, and keep us there until it boils? Heat us up. Do something. Okay, that's Advent. Long walk to the fire. We got the world on fire. I feel completely powerless to do anything about it. Yep. Amen. And it's taken a while for me to be able to help. So we need something bigger. So he, again, he bears, he, he, goes, he goes, tear open the heavens. Make the mountains shake like boiling water over a fire. Now, it's not, sisters and brothers, that hard. It's not a big quantum leap of logic or feeling for us to get to a point where we go, you know what? We, you know what? We live in a world too that could use a little movement of God. My life could use a movement of God. Like Isaiah, we might say, just show yourself. <laughs> and look, gr God, grab, grab the, the world by the face mask and just shake them. Get our attention. Grab them by the lapel. Put our face in your hands and talk to us so we get it. That's his plea. Well, he says, um, Lord, this is Isaiah uh, 64, 2b. Lord, make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. And then he talks about his, all of his mighty works in the past. If you want to pray something that's a beautiful prayer at this time, go back and remember what God has done for you and just recount it. Man, it will build your faith.
calling to mind what God's already done in your life and how maybe he didn't, maybe you didn't notice, but he actually did peel the heavens back that one time and do this. And so the church at this time of year actually does this kind of strange exercise because what we will try to do is grab all the darkness and put it behind us. But what if, what if we leaned into it and we said, instead of looking at 2020 as this total aberration uh, to everything that we know, what if we looked at 2020 and we said, actually, it highlights our desperate need for God more than any other year in my lifetime. I've only, I'm only 45. Some of you are like 185 <laughs> in this church, and I admire you for that. I hope to be you someday. But those of you who are still alive, you, you Jurassics, okay, you can speak. And, and 2020 has been unique, has it not? I mean, it, it, this is a, a special kind of thing. And what it does is it highlights to me, you know what, we're not quite as good at fixing everything as we think we are. We're not nearly as noble as we claim. Uh, we're not nearly as good at love as we put everywhere. We're not nearly as good at sacrifice as we like to claim we are. That doesn't mean you don't have examples around. Of course we do. But what I'm saying is sometimes you have years like this. And what we do then is instead of just writing it off, it's like when you, I'm sure this has never happened at your house, but when you have a difficult day and you go into your house and you see something immediately as you walk into the door that angers you, frustrates you. And it's three times as frustrating as it would have been if you were totally calm when you walked in, but you weren't. So you walked in, you blew up on somebody, or you, you said something you wish you hadn't have said, and then you go into another room, and you sit there, and you realize your conscience speaks to you and says, you know what, what does that mean that I said that, that I did that? Like, who am I becoming? Like, <laughs> what caused that? Okay, this is our chance to do that as a society. To step back and go, is this as good as it gets? Are we just going to do this forever? Are, are we going to keep turning against each other forever? Uh, for some of us, it's more spiritual. It's, am I going to keep ignoring God forever? Am I going to keep putting him second, third, fourth, fifth, last place forever? See, Isaiah's trying to point us in a different direction by saying wait on the Lord call on his name and wait and beg and wait and if you do he will answer because he acts on those on behalf of those who wait for him Isaiah 64 4 Charles Stanley was right when he said our willingness to wait reveals the value we place on the object we're waiting for you know that, that there's a story in the Old Testament of Jacob he wants to marry a young woman named Rachel. So dad goes, okay, that's great. You got to work seven years in order to get her. He says, no problem. She must have been pretty awesome. You got to work seven years for me before you do it. So he works seven years, and he brings him the sister. He's like, uh, no, 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 no. I think I would like to uh, marry. Remember, it was, it, was, it was Rachel. It wasn't Leah. They don't even sound alike, okay? Rachel, Rachel, I just worked seven years for Rachel. And he says, oh, well, our tradition is you have to marry the oldest sister first. If you want Rachel, you have to work another seven. 
And so he does it. He works another seven. If you're Israelites, you cried out to God for 400 years for deliverance from slavery, but it came. And here in our world, for now the church for 2,000 years has been waiting for the day that Christ would return, that the light would break back in again, but that begins by creating a sense of expectation and waiting. Light begins by acknowledging the dark. This is kind of verses five uh, to seven. Isaiah again doesn't blame God for the problems in the world, he blames sin. He says, we have all, this is uh, Isaiah 64, five to seven. We have all become like one who is unclean. We've all. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hands of our iniquities. He's not saying we're this way because you've hidden your face. He's saying, no, because we're this way, you hid your face. Yep. We, we are people that are full of iniquity, and because you're holy, you're not going to, to, to come and give us a big hug or encourage us in that way of life. You've turned your face because we are completely and utterly Unholy. He doesn't mince words. This is actually graf graphic language he uses about the sullied cloth. It's a menstrual cloth analogy. That's what he's using. He says, that's what we're like. That's what our whole world is like. And so you've hidden your face from us. And so the fact that he doesn't do it is there's a long tradition of this. John Steinbeck wrote a little book called Travels with Charlie. Very few people have read it. But Steinbeck tells a story of as he's traveling around, he goes to church one Sunday, he goes in, and the preacher is talking, it's a church up in New England, and he says, it had been a long, uh, a, it had been long since I had heard such a good approach. It is our practice now, at least in the large cities, to find from our psychiatric priesthood that our sins really aren't sins at all, but accidents that are set in motion by forces beyond our control. There was no nonsense in this church. The minister reassured us that we were a pretty sorry lot, and he was right. Having softened us up, he went into a glorious sermon, a fire and brimstone sermon. He spoke of hell not as an expert, or as an expert, not the mush-mush hell of these soft days, but a well-stoked white-hot hell served by technicians of the first order. Man, I wish I could write like that, okay? That he says he appreciated the fact that the preacher didn't get up and soft shoe around everything and say, you know what, hey, everybody, you know, nobody's perfect and everything. And I know you wanted to do the right things. The fact that you, you know, you cheated on your wife, you did whatever, it's just a blip on the radar and just, you know, kind of don't worry. Anybody. Nobody's here to judge anybody and da 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 He says, no. Well, he did me a favor by simply saying, no. We're all not that good. We're all damned. Amen. Looking for kids in the audience there before I said that. <laughs> um, without Christ. Right. And by turning that dimmer switch down all the way to where it gets darker, 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 then all of a sudden we see how brilliant the light is. Amen. How brilliant the light is. A world where God is not moving. It is actually hell on earth. And one in which he's moving helps his kingdom break in on earth as it is in heaven. Um, nobody could get through to Scrooge. Uh, he was obstinate. 
you know, I thought he knew everything. You may remember uh, the famous line where we were talking about, you know, poor people dying without food, and he says, well, they should, then they better get on and die and decrease the surplus population. The darkness in his soul. And nobody could get through to him until he was taken back and shown everything he'd done. Then, he, then it lands. But it can't land until that happens. Here's how Dickin, Dickens writes it. Oh, he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone, Scrooge. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. Hard and sharp as a flint from which no steel had ever struck out generous fire. Secret, self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheeks, stiffened his gait, made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out shrewdly in his grating voice. He carried his own low temperature always about with him. He iced his office in the dog days, and he didn't thaw it one degree at Christmas. External heat and cold had little influence on Scrooge. No warmth could warm, no wintry weather chill him. No wind that blew was bitterer than he. No falling snow was more intent upon its purpose, no pelting rain less open to entreaty. He writes that of Scrooge, and nothing can help Scrooge see. He's the problem. He's the problem. And it isn't until... He's seen what has been done, what's going on, and where things are going, that he can change. Amen. Sisters and brothers, our self-esteem, I think, sometimes, uh, our need to feel good about ourselves can be our biggest enemy, right. a blockage against grace. What's going on? Where do things are going? That's stuff we need to think about. And like Scrooge, we often don't see that we're the problem. When I, when I get to the beach this afternoon, and when you, you can, I mean, go look at, there's video scrolling usually in here of what the baptisms are like when people come out of the water. I haven't seen anybody sad yet. No. I don't know, I probably baptized a thousand people in my life. Never one frowning. What you see is teeth. You see dimples. Amen. You see arms in the air. Right. You see joy. Amen. Sometimes you'll see tears, but they're, they're not the sad kind. They're the joy kind. Right? Why? Because the darkness is gone. Amen. The light has come. But until the darkness comes, or people know how dark things have gotten, it's hard for them to really experience the light. Right. Waiting for the light begins with acknowledging the dark. It begins with confession. And after confession comes reconciliation with God. Jesus would come to earth, and he would bring us back together with God. He is not another ornament on the tree. He's not a gift to consume. He's God's answer to those who are begging for his presence in a world gone dark. 
Jesus is God's rending of the heavens. That's it. That's what he did. He said, I got something better than dramatic displays in the heavens, tearing things open. How about I send you my son, full of grace and truth. And he'll just rend your heart. And he'll come in and he'll bring light to all the dark places. He is the light for which we wait in the present darkness that we've created by our sin. And so don't rush yet to the, yeah, but he came and yeah, all that happened. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. We just had Thanksgiving. Two kinds of people on Thanksgiving with, with food. You have the samplers that kind of sneak into the kitchen <laughs> and they kind of graze on things all day. When somebody's looking, they grab a roll and put it in their pocket, take it, you know, the sampler types. And then you have the people who choose to wait. And they're hungry, just like everybody else. But they know the food's going to taste better if they wait. Advent is kind of like that. It's saying, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. And when we come together on Christmas Eve to celebrate the incarnation, it's not that he was never here. I'm not saying that. He has been here. But it points to the expectation we should have now while we wait for him to come again. So will you join me? I want to say a prayer here in just a moment. We're going to gather around the Lord's table. We call this time communion. You should have gotten a little bag with uh, cracker and juice in it. If you did not, you'd like one. Uh, We have some ushers that have uh, those. If you put your hand in the air and just leave it there, uh, we'll find you and get you one. Um, As you do, I want to offer that invitation I told you about, which is, uh, and you can start it here at the Lord's table. Just that, that piece of bread there is representative of his body. The cup represents his blood. But if you are ready to give your life to Jesus, if you want the light to break in, uh, I'd say come on in, the water's fine, but it's not. It's going to be brutally cold, but I'll be there. And so will a bunch of other people who are ready uh, to give their life to Christ in baptism this afternoon. We'll do it today. So when this service is over, find myself. Uh, or one of the other pastors in the lobby and let's talk. We would love to do that with you. If you want to come out and just see joy bursting forth everywhere, young people getting baptized, turning their lives over to Jesus, making commitments to follow Jesus the rest of their life, come see it. It'll encourage your faith, I promise. Three o'clock, Moonlight Beach, Encinitas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Uh, Father, it's too easy to try to to get to the, the the happy place where we really don't have to own or take any responsibility for the mess we've made in our lives or of this world that you created. And so, Father, will you begin this season of Advent with confession? God, we need you. We need you badly. And we ask, Father, that you give us the humility to call on your name, to ask for help, Father, and the wisdom to to know that it's only you that provides the light that we need. As we take communion now, Father, we remember the body and blood of Jesus, the one that you sent as your tearing of the heavens. He came down. And so, Father, we celebrate him now. In Jesus' name we pray.